Welcome to the latest episode of Pixel Drone Show, a weekly podcast where we talk all things drone. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Greg Reverdio and Haya Kestelou. Our guest today is Curran Daly, DJI's communication manager. And I recently had the pleasure of working with him on the latest major release, the Mavic 3. Curran helped immensely. He was very patient with getting me set up and going so I could get my review in on time. And you can find that on DP Review in case you're interested in what I had to say about it. Um, But today we are going to talk about that drone in particular, plus what else DJI might have planned in the way of events and how the company has grown and shifted in recent months. Welcome to the show, Curran. Hi, it's it's great great to have you. It's great to be here. You know, I, I listen to you guys uh, every week uh, on my commute into the office, and I love what you guys kind of do for the industry, kind of con- uniting everyone and bringing us together, and the conversations you have are great. So I feel honored to get to be a guest on it, and can't wait to get started. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, so getting started, um, I want to know, how did you get started in drones? What interested you about them? Yeah, so I first started flying drones in uh, 2014. I uh, was in high school at the time doing a video production class and my uh, professor or teacher at the time was really into drones. So we had uh, Phantoms, we had an Inspire, um, and we actually had a, a Ronin series that I kind of learned on and we would all train on together. Um, and so I, that's where I kind of got introduced to drones and really started to fly them. Um, and then as a reporter in Northern California, I bought myself a little DJI Spark when I was going out and traveling just to capture some beautiful uh, moments of the Pacific Northwest and get to kind of use it in that way. And then that was kind of how I used it. And I slowly kind of drifted away, used um, the the Spark, like I said, and then found wound up working for DJI, getting right back into it all. Um, so the improvements that they've made from when I first flew the original Phantoms, uh, you know, seven years ago to the Mavic 3 coming out today, it's amazing to see the jump the company's made. Um, and it's really cool to see all the inner workings and how everything's kind of progressed and really uh, DJI's commitment to creating just a really advanced drone technology. It's quite remarkable. So you're the uh, communications manager. What attracted you to this position when you apply for the job? Yeah, so I was really just attracted to DJI because when you look at kind of the future of innovation, there's there's a lot of different things that are floating around. Um, Previously, I worked for Hyperloop Transportation Technologies, um, so in the same kind of technology space, really innovative. Um, And as you look towards kind of what the future is going to revolve around for technology, drones are a big part of that, where we're seeing things happening when beyond uh, visual line of sight drone deliveries. Um, We're seeing uh, just the other day... uh, a Matrix 600 in Sweden saved a man's life, getting an EKG um, out to him really quickly, um, or not an EKG, a uh, defibrillator really quickly. So there's just so much promise there. And I think um, really when I'm looking for something to do, it's really where is that next uh, edge of innovation at? And DJI has always been pushing that kind of technical boundaries and really felt like somewhere where be a part of something that's kind of changing the way the world works um, and kind of changing everyone's daily lives. And I thought that was really exciting. Yeah, it's awesome. We're, we're glad to see you join uh, DJI. Can you tell us a little bit about perhaps some of the challenges when you start in a new position? Because, of course, in the background, we have things like COVID making work harder, especially when there's a lot of travel and international work involved. But also in the background, the relationships between China and the U.S. are not perhaps at their best right now. So can you tell us a little bit maybe about getting started with DJI, some of the challenges that you might have run into? 
Yeah, so I joined DJI right after we released the OM5, um, right before we ended up doing the Series of 3 with the Ronin 4D, the Action 2, and the Mavic 3. Um, so really, when I dove in, there was there was a lot of products just about to come out that I had to learn really quickly and kind of get the ins and outs of really fast. So that was probably the biggest obstacle and challenge. Um, and then also just what I know of the drone industry has evolved so much from when I first was flying drones just as a hobbyist to actually now being more involved in it. Um, so I spent a lot of time sometimes going back and listening to some of your guys' old podcasts just so I could be introduced to different concepts. Um, but then also just working with our different policy teams just to get up to speed on where everything's at. Um, but I have to say the the DJI team, is, it's a big family and everyone made it really welcoming and easy to kind of learn. And um, I love the support that my team gives me and we're really able to get up to speed quickly and hopefully get all the information out to you guys so you can share it with uh, kind of consumers and DJI fans and users uh, so we can get everything out there. Awesome. Thank you. So um, I worked with Patrick Santucci on the Air 2S release, Maria Jung on the OM5, and then uh, you for the Mavic 3, and that was a major release. I'm curious yeah. to know, what are your personal thoughts on the Mavic 3? Um, what do you think of the drone? You know, I love the Mavic 3. As I said, you know, I my most recent drone that I'd flown before uh, joining DJI was the Spark. So it's a big difference going from, the Spark, which is essentially a non-folding uh, mini, too, um, for people who don't know, um, it's a big jump. And so for me, it really just shows DJI's commitment to advanced technology. So you're looking at that four-thirds uh, sensor camera in the dual unit camera, and it just has that beautiful imaging quality. And if you look at the Mavic line, you know, you have the foldable, portable kind of compact size of the drone, but also you have that beautiful imaging quality, that flight safety. Um, and it really just shows what you can do um, with the drone. I'm I'm not the most advanced drone pilot, and I'm still working on getting my Part 107 and everything there. Um, but I've been able to take it out and fly it. Um, I recorded one of my friends um, snowboarding out in the backcountry a couple weeks ago, and then also doing some surfing shots and just being able to use it in kind of a dense forested environment and still get things, and then out in the ocean still have beautiful uh, images, even with kind of harsh sunlight. Um, I've just been really impressed with the image quality I've been able to get and also just the ease of flight with it. Um, like I said, I'm not a, a super hardcore drone pilot yet. I'm still working all my skills on the sticks, but um, it, it's amazing to see how great quality images you can get and easy to use. Um, so I did test out the um, APAS and mm. I was impressed with how well um, it worked with avoiding obstacles. Um, as you know, my drone propeller snagged on one tiny little branch and fell into the mud yep. but other than that though um it's really good but you mentioned you know filming your friends snowboarding and doing other activities um have you been able to test out active track yet and does it work well yeah so i've been able to uh, test out active track i've gone on a few um beach runs where i have the controller in my hand um where it's following me or i'll uh, have a friend kind of on a bike and i'll be following them um, the active track on it is amazing. I, I'm blown away. It's able to keep a good distance, keep you um, in focus. And if it loses the subject, it's really able to quickly re-identify them, catch up with them, um, and follow them along. Um, so active track, um, I've honestly just been amazed by how well it works and also kind of the opportunities and unlocks. Um, for someone like me who, as I keep saying, is not a super great drone pilot, I, I would struggle to manually be following someone at a consistent speed like that. And ActiveTrack just makes it really easy to do. And 
uh, really is great for kind of those sports scenarios too. Cause uh, if you're, if you're on a bike or if you're snowboarding or surfing, it just makes it easy where you can know you're going to have that consistent shot. Um, do you think it compares to Skydio's, um, tracking technology at all? Um, have you tried it? Would you know? Do you have an opinion on that? So I haven't personally tried um, Skydia's technology, and I can't really comment or compare ours against theirs. Um, that's mm-hmm. We really let you guys get to test all those out and kind of tell the world about that. Obviously, I'm always going to stand behind um, our product and say they're the best thing ever and want you guys to go out and test them and um, push the limits and see kind of what the capabilities and limitations are. Um, from what I've seen, the active track works great. Um, and uh, really excited to see what consumers are able to get from it. Um, and any learnings um, that we have, obviously, uh, we're, we're always listening to what our users are um, saying, and we want that feedback um, to kind of see if there's any optimizations we can make to just improve that and make sure everyone's able to use it and get the most out of it as they can. Yeah, I haven't tried Active Track yet. We just had a major snowstorm, but I yeah. do look forward to getting out there and tracking something. And I am hoping that it is a major improvement over the Mavic um, Air 2 um, released a few years back because that one wasn't as satisfactory, sad to say. But um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this one performs for sure. Yeah, I, I think you're going to be see quite the improvement over the Air 2. Um, and I, I think you're, you're really going to be blown away by what it's able to, what it's able to do while it's active tracking. So I, I do have a question on the uh, on the Mavic Three, and you, I'm sure you've been getting a lot of feedback from customers on different things. What's been uh, the main improvement request that you've heard from from customers on on the aircraft? Yeah, so I think the the most obvious one um, is the main thing that people were requesting was they wanted all those features, right? When we released the Mavic Three, um, Active Track wasn't available yet. Um, the master shots weren't there yet. So the first thing was people were really clamoring to get all that kind of firmware updates that unlocked those new capabilities. Um, we were able to deliver some of those early in December. Um, so people have been able to start slowly testing those out and we have uh, some more firmware updates coming up in the next weeks and months um, that will continue to roll out new features and optimizations. Um, but that's really the main one that we saw. Uh, another thing that we also saw a lot of people kind of asking for was that RC Pro being available in the Flymore combo with the non-Cine model. Um, so in China, in the December, that became available, and we're still analyzing if that's something that we'll bring to the North American and European markets as well. So speaking of the RC Pro, just a, a quick detour. Uh, it's going to be available for the Air 2S. Actually, it is available for the Air 2S already, right? Um, yes, there there are some uh, SKU shipping with it uh, with the Air 2S. And then, uh, are we can we expect to see that RC Pro available for other platforms that are existing, like the the two Pro or or the uh, the older drones that are compatible with the uh, the you original know, RC? You know, I I can't go too far into what our plans are for that controller, and I'm not sure um, where we're always going with that because, like we said, we're always listening to user feedback. Um, and so we want to make sure that people are able to fly it with the systems they want to. Um, if there's enough of a call and we think that the market really wants to be able to use that RC Pro on some of the older 
uh, models, it may be something that we explore and uh, look into in the future. Well, you, you get my vote. Uh, we have uh, we have pretty much every single DJI model, and we, we fly the older controller uh, with uh, pretty much all of them. So if you guys could add up that possibility, that would be absolutely awesome. Uh, by the way, I love the new controller, the ability to record the screen. This is something we couldn't do in the old one. Now we can do everything internally in the new screen. As a, uh, as a content producer and as an educator, this was uh, an amazing uh, addition. So thank you for that. I was going to say, I'll, I'll pass the good words along and let them know uh, what you guys said and see if I can push them along to get what you guys need. <laughs> My question has to do with uh, the camera and the dual camera setup. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm actually recording this on an iPhone uh, 13 where you have three different lenses and you can kind of go from wide angle all to tele. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the two different lenses that you use for the Mavic 3, you have one that basically allows you, and I'm focused mostly on video recording here, uh, to zoom in four times, and then mm-hmm. you switch to the second lens, but the second one seems to start about seven times and then allows you to go all the way to 28. Was it not possible to have that uh, digital zooming feature to be more seamless and to get the colors and the, the profile basically that you get from both images to be more the same, so it was more of a a seamless seamless zooming experience than what we currently have? Um, You know, we were working on making sure that it is as seamless as possible. Um, And what we kind of found is, as I know you guys have gone to test them out and have probably seen, um, as you zoom in, uh, you have that first one through four times zoom. And then, like you said, it jumps to that seven times. Um, Really, what we're looking to do is try to make it as clear as possible and give you that increased range. on what likely would have happened if we wanted to make it more seamless is you would you would have had uh, less of a range on that uh, yeah. tele lens and we wouldn't have been able to see as far and we really saw it as a, a way for people to plan out shots um, and kind of plan different things so we really wanted to make sure that you could see I think we're at that 28 times with that yeah. um, and really want to be able to see that and so the seamlessness uh, is a small trade-off there. Uh, but hopefully we'll see that kind of get improved in future models um, and as we continue to kind of update uh, things in the future. Yeah, uh, a follow-up uh, I have about this, that if you if you look at reviews uh, mostly on YouTube, then a lot of the photographers and filmmakers kind of bash that lens for not being good enough uh, to use professionally. But then later on, I was writing an article about how actually military and police uses drones. Uh, my question for you is, is, is there a lot of demand coming from police forces around the world and military uh, around the world to use a drone that has such a strong zoom where they don't care as much about the image quality, but more about the ability to just zoom in from such a great distance and see what's going on? You know, I, I haven't heard of any kind of military or kind of government applications uh, that were kind of um, kind of incorporated into the design of the Mavic 3. So I don't think that's where that mm-hmm. came from. Um, it's really for those nature photographers. I'm I'm an avid birder um, personally. So with a, a mini two, when you don't have that zoom, you're not really able to get yeah. see the birds because you get close with a drone, they're going to fly away. Um, so it's really more for kind of, I would say the wildlife photographers. I don't, there's not really that much of a government demand for it, or at least that's not what went into the design of the Mavic 3. Can we uh, expect the zoom lens to be manually controllable the exposure and then have access to the log because to me right now that's the biggest limitation is switching between the uh, the log and then having to go to a fully auto is this something that you guys are working on maybe um so like we are kind of taking all this feedback um like you said we are looking to see what new features and what new controls um, specifically with the camera that our users want and that we can unlock and give to them um so i can't 
say we definitively we're going to be rolling this out in the future, but it is something that we're looking at. And I would expect to see a little bit more expanded control options, not necessarily on maybe the telelens, but different um, options uh, coming in the future at some point. Okay. So um, I was surprised that the Mavic 3, which is pretty much a prosumer professional grade drone, was using the DJI Fly app. Mm-hmm. I remember starting out on the Mini and then the Mini 2, the Air, Mavic Air 2, Air 2S. And um, one thing I, that stood out to me was that with the DJI Go 4 app, you just had so many more manual adjustments. You could um, put the camera into aperture priority mode or shutter priority, or I'm sorry, or program mode, not shutter priority. Um, pardon me. But anyway, my question is, are there, gonna, is, are there plans to improve upon the DJI Fly app or fine tune it so that um, it's more suitable for professionals? Yeah, so the the decision to go with the DJI Fly app for the Mavic 3 really had to do with kind of the workability um, of the app with the actual drone and being able to have some of those um, features um, like the new ActiveTrack 5.0 and the A-Pass really needed the DJI Fly app just because of its ability to kind of communicate with the drone. Um, I do think you're kind of right in looking for that more control, um, and that is something that we've heard. Um, going back to one of your earlier questions, what improvements um, have we heard a lot about? Um, I know we've heard a lot of people wanting that more control through the DJI Fly app that they used to have through the Go 4. Um, so as we're looking at trying to introduce some of those capabilities without creating too much coding uh, weight on the actual app and platform, so it still works smoothly and seamlessly, and you still have that that really good connection and quality that you expect from DJI. So, so is Go4 essentially going to be replaced by the FlyUp, or can we expect more aircraft in the future to use Go4 again? Um, so right now, um, Go4 and the FlyUp are separate apps. Fly is not uh, looking to cannibalize it or kind of take its spot or anything. Okay. Um, I can't say on any future drones um, that's coming out because can't really comment on any uh, kind of what we're bringing out this year in the future, but... Um, I don't think uh, you don't have to worry about it going away anytime soon. So you can't talk about the Inspire three, right? <laughs> I I cannot. I don't. I don't know if it's happening. I have no information. Uh, that's no a, idea. That's a good answer. Good answer. Ah, uh, he's been long enough with DJI to know what to answer to, uh, Greg. <laughs> All right. Um, I think we have a few more questions about the Mavic 3. Uh, one of the things that sets the Cine version apart is that it has an internal SSD uh, card that allows you, I think, up to one terabyte of, of video recording, which I think is awesome. But um, I've heard some people complain about the fact that if you then need to get that footage off the drone, you're, you're basically not able to fly for a while because now you need to have a battery that's powered so you can power on the drone and then you have to offload all that footage. And if it's a terabyte of footage, then that takes some time. So some people are like joking like oh this is dji strategy to get you to buy two of these expensive drones which might be smart um i know that the mavic 3 cine version still comes in below 900 grams was that the reason to have that uh, internal ssd card not swappable or could we perhaps had a version where you could actually take that card out put another one in and just keep that drone flying all the time um so i do know that um having the kind of maintain um, it's below 900 grams um, weight was really important um, for us yeah. and really important for our consumers um, around the world. Um, was the internal SD 
um, SSD kind of part of that. I'm not 100% sure, but what I can say is during the engineering process, that was something we were paying close attention to. Um, and I'm sure having the interchangeability would add uh, small amounts of weights as you know, you have the components to lock yeah. them in and take them out. Um, and I think there's a lot of attention to make sure it's easy to fly for everyone, no matter what regions or regulations they're flying under. Um, so weight was definitely something we were paying attention to as we kind of created the Mavic 3. Yeah, I, I think it's incredible that you guys are able to come out with a better drone that weighs less than its predecessor. Um, I believe the 900 grams is a regulation in uh, Europe. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a it's a regular regulation in Europe um, d d that changes the classifications of the drones. Yeah. Um, and so staying under 900 grams uh, was really important. Uh, real quick, as we kind of mentioned, the Mavic 3 being lighter but uh, more capable than its predecessors, uh, we did kind of redesign the entire wing structure and propeller system. Um, and it's actually 50 50% uh, 50 uh, stronger. Uh, it has a 50% better wind resistance, um, which is kind of what gave it its 46 minute flight time on a single battery. Um, so there was a lot of work that went into not just the weight of the drone, but also the shape of the wings, the pitch of things, the propeller sizes, um, just to make sure everything kind of worked really well together in a cohesive package that kind of set that new industry standard um, while still kind of staying true to its uh, heritage of being a Mavic series drone. Yeah, I, I can say I flew I flew it yesterday. We were in Vegas and we found a really cool spot called uh, the Wheel of Misfortune, which is a, a bunch of tagged area. And I, I flew the Mavic 3 for a while and I was like, how am I still up in the air? And it was just going and going. I was like, okay, well, I got all the footage that I need. So I actually landed without even the battery being fully empty. So it's a, it's a testament to the duration. That aircraft is incredible with flight time. So... Yeah, if, if you look at the the three versus the Mavic two, it's uh it's a fifty percent increase or something crazy in the amount of flight time you're able to get because the old batteries were about thirty uh, minutes each and now the new one's forty six. So really pushes what you can do. I know the first time I was flying it, I had a similar experience where I was like, wow, like I still have fifty percent battery life. Like I've been doing all these things. Like I I'm I I thought I had to land and change batteries, but were able to stay up and uh. That's really important for us is the more time we can keep you up in the air flying and not having to come down and change batteries, um, the more time you get to enjoy it. And that's what we're all kind of here for. Yep. Um, so you have made a lot of improvements to the Mavic 3, especially in flight time with the aerodynamics. I mean, I love how it handles the wind. Um, you know, there, but there were a few qualms about uh, price. I did see some sticker shock in the forums and um, some people were a little bit incensed that not all of the features were rolled out upon launch. Um, overall, how would you say that Mavic 3 has been received, um, especially compared to the Mavic 2 and original Mavic Pro? You know, the, the Mavic 3's reception has been quite uh, amazing. It's, it's been very successfully received. Um, a lot of people who have flown in and reviewed it have said it flies great. We're hearing a lot of great feedback from early users who are enjoying the capabilities of using uh, that four-thirds Hasselblad camera, and with the extended flight time, really able to get those high-quality images. Um, like you said, there was some of that initial sticker shock, but it is that flagship drone that really integrates all of DJI's most advanced technologies into a consumer package. Um, so it does have a lot of capabilities and power in it um, that when you kind of look at it, kind of make that uh, kind of sticker shock price maybe not as shocking. Um, yeah. it, it was received really well, um, and it's been just a lot of, of uh, fun as people kind of learn all the different things it can do and we start seeing uh, beautiful images from the places people take it. Uh, I know I saw um, 
uh, on Instagram the other day, I saw someone flying a Mavic 3 around a volcano somewhere. And you kind of see as it kind of gets out into nature and you see people taking it on these crazy adventures and getting great footage with it. Um, it really just shows that the Mavic 3 is a great piece of technology. Um, and if you look at that initial kind of people wanting the more features and kind of questioning why it wasn't ready um, at launch, when we look at the Mavic 3, we're really looking at high quality imaging and great flight safety. When the Mavic 3 came out, it had its dual camera system and it had its 8Pass 5.0, which really laid the foundations for an excellent flight system that could then be updated through firmware updates to unlock new capabilities, new features, new optimizations. And really that's where we see kind of it kind of evolving as we kind of continue unlocking new features. We allow, uh, we kind of take some of the real world experiences that people are having, roll out some optimizations. We're really seeing that it's a super powerful drone that uh, we hope meets a lot of consumers' needs. And then uh, what what it doesn't meet, we can't wait to take all that feedback and create the next one, uh, the Mavic 4 in a, a few years from now, um, and kind of create something that people are going to love even more and keep kind of pushing that innovative boundary and just seeing how far we can take uh, kind of drone technology with it. Um, quick follow-up. Uh, so it was three years between the Mavic 2 and the Mavic 3. So can we expect a few more years for the next iteration of the Mavic? Yeah, so I haven't seen any plans for it. We don't have a timeline or anything, um, mm -hmm. but I would kind of follow that same kind of uh, cycle where you see the kind of flagship come out and kind of expect to have a similar time between the Mavic 3 and any of its uh, future uh, follows predecessors successors successors yeah successors, no i know what yeah. you meant though <laughs> so uh, at the time of the launch of the uh, of the mavic 3 uh, dji immediately said oh in january we'll come up with a firmware update that's going to unlock some of the features that weren't quite ready when uh, when the drone was initially launched that firmware updates came much sooner than we expected uh, so i guess my question is are we still getting another firmware update in january or are there still firmware updates coming that you can tell us about or yeah, so there there are still firmware updates um, planned to come out. There's a few more um, functions that we want to unlock. Uh, panorama mode is still one of those um, that yeah. the uh, December update didn't do. Um, but we we had we were working on the update and we saw how many people were getting out there and flying it. And we really wanted uh, to unlock the capabilities as soon as we could. Um, and so when we were able to flight test and everything was good to go, we kind of wanted to surprise everyone with a little uh, mid-December present. Here you go. Here. Yeah have fun flying uh, over the holidays here and then keep kind of pushing out updates um, uh, this January and for the weeks and months to come. We'll keep rolling things out and roll out different improvements as well. Is, is there a specific date for the next one that you can share with us or? So I don't have any uh, specific dates um, right now. We're still kind of testing them out. Um, mm -hmm. I'm waiting to get some betas that I can test out and then hopefully I'll be able to share uh, with you guys um, so you can test them out and then as it launches, we'll be able to bring that to the public and kind of show all the new capabilities and kind of small improvements that we're able to make on it. So also another thing that's been discussed in the industry, and this is not just the Mavic 3, this is typical for all the new drones that are released is the SDK availability so that a third-party app can integrate the drone into their platform, uh, mm -hmm. specifically for people looking to do mapping. This is always kind of a, a big thing. Uh, any uh, information update as to when people should expect the SDK to go out, which means additional time would be needed for the third party to create these, uh, these apps? Yeah, I, I don't have any timeline right now on when that SDK will be available. Um, 
as it's kind of been practiced with some of our previous drones as well, there is kind of a delay between the drone being released, the SDK becoming yeah. available, and then really getting that third-party app integration um, fully going. Um, so we don't have a timeline right now, um, but I would expect to see something in the future. And as it comes up, I'll definitely make sure I let you guys know so you can update your listeners uh, on the podcast. Yep. So last I checked, I think the market share for DJI in North America was maybe high 70%, um, low 80s. Um, how is DJI doing in various parts of the world? So when I think of the EU, um, Asia, um, what's the market share over in those parts? Uh, you know, I can't discuss specific market share numbers, um, okay. partially because I don't have access to all those financials and the, the market share depends on how you define the market and it can always fluctuate. Um, mm -hmm. But we're, we're performing really well uh, right now. We've We've been able to have a number of launches in the past year where we've been able to get new products into excited consumers' hands um, and kind of continue to deliver on what DJI is known for um, and kind of push that innovation and make sure we launch something, get it out, uh, and make sure consumers can use it um, kind of as soon as possible and continue to push things out. So can't give you specific numbers, um, but I can say that we're doing well in North America, committed to North America, doing well in Europe, and doing well in Asia as well. All right. I have kind of a lengthy question, but I wanted to set the stage for people that are listening first. And it has to do with the the, the family names, not necessarily the naming convention, because I know Kara has a question on that. I don't want to take her question. But we've seen uh, DJI come up with the Mavic series after the Inspire and the Phantom series were kind of out. And and the Mavic series initially was the Mavic Mini, the, Mani, the Mavic Air, and well, the Mavic Pro first, and then we added the other, the other session. And then eventually the, the Mavic moniker was kind of dropped from the Air. Now we just have the Air, right? And we have the, the Mini all by themselves. So, and then now we have the Mavic 3, which is kind of its own thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the other platform, we have the Inspire, which is typically for the professional level. It almost feels like the Mavic 3 is getting really, really close to being a hybrid between the Phantom series and the, and the Inspire series, where we're trying to combine everything into a foldable form factor. Um, I know there's been rumor because of Haya, he spread that out about the <laughs> Inspire 3, uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the, is, the, is the Phantom series, I mean, you may not be able to answer that question, but is the Phantom series completely gone can we expect anything more from the phantom series or is that going to be rolled out kind of into the uh into the the mavic series now yeah so the phantom series um i think the last phantom that was released was a couple of years ago um but it's still yep. widely popular with you it's our user base um we have i whenever i talk to people one of the first things i hear is i have a phantom 4 and i love the phantom 4 and it's, it's yep. kind of just so loved and accepted um, and kind of we understand that. So we came out with the RTK version um, for enterprise use a couple of years ago as well. And we have um, kind of different kind of strategies going forward. I don't think you're going to see uh, it be all everything from the Phantom show up in a Mavic 3 or kind of a future iteration of it. But you do have that really strong user base who loves the Phantom 4. And we're constantly listening yep. to see what they need if we see that you know they love that phantom 4 so much and the portability is not an issue there could be a, a phantom 5 in the future but i can't like say there's definitely going to be something or there's not going to be something uh, we're just extremely grateful that for the amount of praise and kind of the love that our users have of it and we're always conscious of making sure we're kind of continue that 
and kind of have a good reciprocal relationship. If there's something they love, we don't want to take it away and say, sorry, you can't fly the Phantom 4s anymore. You got to upgrade. Um, we're really happy that people love the Phantom 4 and want to keep them flying it as much as we can. Yep. It's a workhorse. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Um, I accidentally drove my car over one of my Phantom 4 Pros, and I love it so much that I'm sending it to a repair place. My first drone crash. My first drone crash. My first drone crash was a Phantom 4 that got ran over by a car, but yeah, it's. Yeah. Those I ones my, are rough to take. I put my backpack. On the it, or the backpack fell out of the car, and then I backed the car up, and I heard a crunch, and I thought, oh, oh my gosh! And I know DJI Care is not going to cover my stupidity, so I'm going to send it to a small independent business <laughs> because I love it. I've had it for five years, and it's still one of my go-to's. Yeah. Um, so, as Greg mentioned earlier, I had a question about your naming convention. Um, we started out with the DJI Mavic Mini, and then it was the Mini 2, and then we had the Mavic Air 2, and then it was the Air 2S. And um, what's the logic behind that? Um, why was why was that a thing, I guess? Yeah, so when the Mavic was first introduced, it was really a first-of-its-kind kind of foldable, portable drone like it was. Um, and we kind of had the Mavic moniker on the original Mini and the original Air to kind of signify that it was part of that same family. As we've kind of gotten away from that first iteration and we've kind of developed the product line, it they're they've really kind of developed their own spaces where they're not necess- they're all in the same family and you can look see that if you're looking at them and you kind of see how they all operate. Um, but they don't need to all carry that Mavic name. It really adds more words than needs to be on the title of a box. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of introduces unnecessary confusion. So we've made the decision that the Mavic moniker will really just be for that flagship. Um, series now. So like we have the Mavic uh, 2, the Mavic 3, um, and we'll continue to have like the Mini 2s um, where they won't have the Mavic name just because it makes it easier for consumers. You see Mavic, you know, that's the top of DJI's technology, the technical capabilities right now. That's the flagship. Um, and then from there, you can kind of see where what fits best for your uses and your needs and kind of your flight styles um, from there. I guess that makes sense. Um, earlier in 2021, I spoke to somebody from DJI, and and even though they didn't tell me what products to expect, they did say, okay, we have at least four products that are going to come to the market. Can you give us uh, similar information as to what we can expect for 2022? And then also as a follow-up question, are we going to see in-person product launches again like we used to uh, before COVID kicks in? Yeah, so I can give you guys a little bit of a preview on what we're launching in 2022. Um, we are launching some drones uh, and we are launching some Cameron gimbal equipment um, <laughs> as nice. be expected. Um, but we do have some really exciting things uh, lined up for you guys and I can't wait to share them with you when I'm able to. Um, but if you look kind of at our releases from last year, you look at the specifically the Ronin 4D and the Mavic 3, so much innovation got, went into there from our engineers, really pushing the boundaries. I like to look at the 4D um, I think with the Mavic 3, all everyone's been talking about that. The 4D has the potential to really transform an industry, not necessarily the drone industry, yep. but professional mm-hmm. cinematography. And I think it's amazing. And if you look at that amount of innovation, yep. you can expect that coming in 2022 as well from our engineers. They're constantly trying to create the most advanced technologies, really push the kind of barriers and really see how far we can uh, get all the drones working and really create something strong that our fans and users are going to kind of resonate with. Um, awesome. I know there's a second part of that question and I forgot it, but I'm totally ready yeah. to go and answer it. 
<laughs> um, back in the day before COVID, we had all these in-person uh, product launches from DJI, which I always thought were fun events. And it's, I don't know, just it just gives you more of a connection with that new product and the company and everything. And then, of course, when COVID came around, it became all online. Uh, my thoughts and hopes are that uh, perhaps we're going to see in-person product launches from you guys again in 2022. Yeah, so we're still working on our plans for 2022. Um, I know at the end of 2021, we were in the process of looking at creating some um, in-person events as well for some of those launches. And as, I mean, we just saw it with CES. If you look, ask yeah. people to be in December, CES was going to be a huge event everyone was at. And it turned out a lot of people ended up not going, uh, myself included. And so it really kind of changes. And we're living in a time where we can't really make predictions very far out. Um, so we're definitely working on creating some plans. Um, but we're still working on making sure we meet our customers, partners, um, and suppliers, media members, everyone, as best we can through these kind of virtual spaces. Um, and it really has opened up some possibilities because in the past, if you weren't able to get to an in-person event, um, now with virtual events, we're able to still have that kind of connection. So we're constantly just working to make sure we're able to reach everyone. Um, and we're hoping for in-person events coming up soon. We have a lot of things we want to show you in person, um, but we're kind of at the... Uh, it's out of our hands at this point is we'll make them as many uh, plans as we can and hope that we can follow through with them. Yeah, I just came back from CES last night and uh, it was definitely a very quiet year, unfortunately, this year. Yeah. Um, that's too bad. Uh, the um, d Do you find that the online launches are as successful, less successful than the in-person? Is there a component to the in-person that you just can't get with the online launches? I, I, there is definitely a component you get with the in-person events that you can't get with online launches. Being face-to-face, -face, being able to walk someone through it. Uh, my favorite thing is the action too. Uh, if we had been in person, I would have just had all of you guys standing together, just clipping them back and forth because it's <laughs> fun to do, honestly. Um, and so there is something missing from uh, when you're not able to do those in-person events. But like I said, with those virtual events, it does open up more possibilities for different people, potentially from smaller uh, kind of outlets or smaller kind of areas who wouldn't have the resources to travel to the events where we can still kind of interface in the same way and still give them all the information. Um, so it, it's really something that kind of has been a challenge and an obstacle, but it's also an opportunity to just invite more people into the drone industry and drone space um, and really kind of make it something that we can bring to as many people as possible. And we're excited to get back to 20, uh, to get back to in-person in 2022 but I'm sure we'll still kind of keep some of the learnings that we've had from our virtual sessions and kind of create a hybrid structure moving forward where we still have that in-person events, but we also still have some online virtual things just to make sure we're reaching as many people as we can. So recently, Otel really are announced um, some light nano models, and one of them is a sub 250 gram drone, just like the mini. Uh, mm -hmm. Does DJI fear any competition from Otel? You know, uh, we don't fear any competition. We really welcome the competition. Um, our counterparts in the industry are doing great jobs coming up with good products that uh, people like. And really all that does is it pushes the industry forward with the ultimate beneficiaries being the consumers. You know, if you look at DJI, we just celebrated at the end of last year, our 15 year anniversary. And so if you look from where we were 15 years ago to where we are today, um, we really couldn't have done that without having a kind of our counterparts in this industry continue to push us and always be striving for more innovation. Um, so we definitely see it as an exciting time for the industry to grow. Um, and we welcome everything because at the end of the day, we want to create the best technology that's really going to meet user needs and kind of constantly be pushing what drones are capable of doing um, and having 
our uh, competition create good products as well just really helps us along in that um, kind of vein and we're constantly working to improve and you know it it's fun to see um, have that little bit of competition because it just makes us work a little bit harder and constantly push out a really good tech so a few years ago we saw images of a phantom 4 with interchangeable lenses and apparently there wasn't really a prototype but more of a one-off for a special customer however it, it kind of sparked people's enthusiasm and and love for being able to change lenses and then use different lenses on a drone uh, right now you cannot do that with the mavic 3 even though it has two different lenses but they're not swappable uh, the inspire 2 allows you to do it but that has the older uh, now uh, zenmuse x7 camera set up um the ronin 4d has the x9 are we gonna see an inspire 3 with like an x9 uh camera setup that allows us to swap lenses um you know i can't comment exactly on any future products that we have coming out but um i think that the as you know people want to swap lenses they want that capability um so we've definitely been listening and we've definitely been taking that feedback and looking at the technology we do have in our arsenal uh, to kind of create things that, that meet kind of user needs and user feedback. So uh, I, I can't specifically say yes or no on that, but um, we're definitely, I think people can start getting excited about some things that we'll be releasing in the near future. It will make 2022 an amazing year. I can tell you that. <laughs> that's a yes, Haya. That's a yes. Uh, I think so. <laughs> no, definitely nothing. Poor Kern. Poor Kern. We're grilling him, trying to get all this stuff. Um, I have a, I have a question about the. I want to switch gears a little bit, maybe, and talk about the uh, blue UAS, kind of the the political side of things with uh, the relationship between the U.S. and China. Obviously, uh, DJI has been kind of uh, in the line of fire for the last year and a half to two years. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on the the battle between the made in China drone? And this is not just DJI, quite frankly. This now is affecting also Hotel. Uh, and and so what's the what's your take on the made in China versus the blue UAS uh, debacle that's going on right now? You know, we, we I, I can't really comment or criticize any of our competitors or go too much into detail on the things they're doing. Uh, but what I can say is I can stand by our products and the different things that we're doing to make sure that any of the kind of different concerns are addressed. Um, so we spend a lot of time making sure that our uh, drones protect consumer data. And we do have, they have been validated by government agencies. We also do have an enterprise line of products that are made to specific government uh, specifications that both government and independent cybersecurity experts have validated and have signed off on. Um, and, it, and if you wanna see any of that information, it is all on our website, um, but Really, if you look at the government agencies and the critical infrastructure operators who rely on DJI products and use it, they do all their due diligence before they start it. Um, and from that standpoint, it really is DJI products meet their needs um, kind of better than anything else out in the market can. Um, and they have all this kind of data security and everything that they need to do to make sure they don't have to worry about their data being compromised or anything. So. Um, we're really working hard to make sure that everyone can use it as well as possible and make sure that our partners, suppliers, and customers are treated fairly. Yeah. 
Um, last year, we've seen uh, quite a few people leave DJI, unfortunately. And I think perhaps uh, one of the most recent and well-known uh, or best-known people that left DJI was Brendan Schulman, uh, who was always very vocal and tried to stay on top of all the policy uh, stuff happening in Washington, D.C. Uh, now that he is gone, and I believe that actually some members of the team that used to work with him have left as well. How does DJI stay on top of all these uh, ever-changing drone regulations and policy changes? You know, Brendan really was a valued member of DJI's team and really the things that he did for the industry kind of benefit all drone pilots. He was a great advocate um, for kind of pushing that forward and really led a lot of positive benefits. Um, we, like you said, we have had some transitions with uh, Brendan uh, transitioning out of the company and moving on to his kind of next challenge and a few other people as well. And it's really just kind of kind of normal operating for a company that's been there. I know Brendan had been with the company for five, six years and had done a lot and was ready to tackle new challenges. Um, we are in a bit of a transition period, but we did just welcome a new director of US government relations and public policy to our team. Um, and we're really just continuing to advocate for our rights and our customers' rights and really make sure that the people who are making these decisions are as informed as possible. And then we can also um, kind of give them all the information they need and continue to work uh, to make a, a drone flight safe and socially acceptable. Because one of the big things is just making sure that the general public understands that drones are a tool that can be used for good. Um, and there's not a lot of, um, we don't want a few uh, knuckleheads doing dumb or stupid things with them, kind of ruining it for all of us uh, drone pilots who love drones. Now, speaking of, as a pilot, what is your personal take on remote ID? Is it overreaching or necessary? So I see remote ID as being um, very important for creating really that social acceptability of drones. When you look at like a car that someone's driving, you have a license plate and you can't immediately identify all the information that that person has, but you could call the police and say, there's something's happening and they can immediately look up the car and do the different things. Um, so I do think it's important to make sure we have something that deters people from doing bad things with drones, just to kind of protect the industry as a whole. Um, one person doing a bad thing with a drone really counteracts all the positive things that drones do, because that's what the news headlines are really going to pick up on. And that's what people are going to remember. Um, so I think it's really important to make sure we kind of have something in place that deters people from doing that. Um, I do know there are some active kind of court cases challenging it. And at DJI, we're monitoring that and we're totally planning to um, comply with any regulations that come into effect um, as a result. But I, I see it as a really kind of important um, step to just make sure we're kind of protecting the industry um, and making sure that everyone is using drones the way they should. Um, I know there's a lot of kind of concerns on kind of personal information and different things. And I'm sure there's some fine details within there that need to get worked out. Um, but I think as long as we're continuing to make kind of uh, smart, conscious um, regulations that kind of make it safer and just easier for people to fly, I think while it might kind of create an obstacle that is a little bit of an annoyance at times, I think it's really important to kind of secure the future of the industry. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I think something that's sort of closely related to this is geofencing. I mean, a lot of people either like it or hate it. There are mm -hmm. competitors out there that don't have geofencing uh, actively on their drones uh, or in, in a way that prohibits people to fly. Uh, and I, I think they might actually see that as a competitive advantage. Uh, what is your opinion on geofencing? So geofencing, um, no one spent more time, uh, money or effort to create safe drones than DJI has. Geofencing was established by DJI 
uh, and was something that we really wanted to create to make sure that people weren't flying drones in places they weren't to. We, we don't want someone to buy a drone, drive to an airport and be like, oh, well, it's an airport. I can just take it off right next to this plane that's taking off and then cause issues. Um, and so we've really worked to kind of decrease the footprint of the geofencing zones to make sure they're really accurate on the area that they're in. Um, so you're not being uh, too like kind of negatively affected by them. And then also we've kind of created and taken on the burden of creating a really robust system to kind of unlock those geofences when you have the proper authorization. And we've taken that on ourselves to make sure that people are able to kind of get those unlocks they need. Um, so geofencing is really just, it's like I said, it's, it's protecting that kind of social acceptability of drones. If we didn't have um, kind of a way to stop people from flying places they shouldn't be, we I think we see a lot more kind of drone incidents and we really want to limit that as much as possible um, as we're still kind of growing and people are becoming accustomed to us. Because I know I love drones, I know you guys love drones, but I'm sure you've encountered people who see drones as a nuisance or a security threat. And when you're able to kind of have these safeguards built in, it really kind of decreases that narrative and really helps it become something that people can be more comfortable with. So last year we saw Hotel uh, switching chips in their uh, Evo 2. They came up with a version 2 because the chips were obviously in a, in a shortage. Everybody's having issues finding chips. What I found interesting is you guys released the Mavic 3 and pretty much the next day you were able to start shipping the drones and it didn't seem like the chip shortage is hurting you guys as much as it is for the rest of the industry. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the trick and uh, are you actually being affected by the, the chip shortage? Uh, you know, it, it's a really competitive uh, industry, so I can't tell you how we've been able to kind of navigate ourselves around the chip shortage. But as you guys have been able to see with um, everyone uh, with our products coming out and people being able to get them in hands and you guys being able to test fly the Mavic 3 only a couple weeks or in some of you guys' cases before the drone was released or George in your case or sorry, Greg in your case um, this past weekend, we've been able to get it out there. And so luckily we've been able to have the drone go out and fly um, and we've been able to get around that and successfully get things into consumers hands um, and we're continuing to monitor kind of supply uh, issues around the world to make sure we're still able to deliver products into people's hands uh, as we release them um this is kind of an open-ended question but in your opinion what are overall drone industry trends um yeah it's... i think the, the biggest thing um, is that the BV loss beyond visual line of sight flight authorizations, we're seeing more and more. I think we just saw um, New Air in New York get authorization for 35 miles. We have um, uh, air mobility corridor being developed between Michigan and Ontario, Canada. And so you're really seeing um, kind of the future that everyone's been thinking about is really starting to take shape. So we have increased drone deliveries. We have those longer flight um, distances where you can do it beyond what you can see. Um, and I think we're really just kind of moving more towards the things that 20 years ago were a crazy like, oh, that could never happen. We're slowly moving towards there. And it, it's really just making sure we have the regulations and the technologies and places to make sure we're doing that in a safe way that benefits society and doesn't um, create any potential issues or uh, dangers at, along the way. Cool. Um... Have you been to China, to DJI's uh, head offices yet? And if so, can you also give us an update about their new awesome head offices that I think are still being built? I have not had a chance to get to China, uh, but I'm looking forward to getting to go visit HQ. I do jump on a call with them uh, once a week, every week at like 6 a.m. So 
I get to see them in the nice offices and they get to see me drinking my first cup of coffee. But um, the, the, uh, the new headquarters are going well. We're excited uh, that we'll be able to hopefully have those completed and share that with you guys in the future. And um, I'm looking forward to get out there. I've heard a lot of stories of just how good it is to actually get to talk, work in person with them because right now it's a lot of emails and uh, chats that go back and forth and phone calls. Um, but I'm really looking forward to get out to our headquarters and uh, can't wait to share share the new headquarters with you guys, hopefully sometime yep. later this year. Nice. Awesome. That would be awesome. So we're getting to the end of the show and, uh, and we really want to thank you for your time. This this yeah. has been very enlightening. Uh, but we always have one last question for our guest. And in this, this case, this is extremely important. We guess you we get your total unbiased opinion and uh this is very serious uh what is your favorite drone to fly and i know you watch the show so you know the last question i do i do um i was trying to think of some funny ways to respond but i i definitely have to go with the mavic 3 since it's what we've been talking about but uh my favorite drone to fly right now is actually the fpv um i've really yeah. enjoyed getting to enter that kind of area um so getting to fly the dji fpv with the motion controller um, I've really enjoyed that, and it's something that I was always looking forward to when it came to drones was being able to have um, not necessarily the sticks, but having the motion control um, and having that FPV point of view. Um, you know, I, I love drone league racing. I love watching all those guys, and I can't imagine trying to fly like that, but getting to use the DJI FPV, I've gotten to slowly kind of get used to it, and I've, I'm still getting better and still working on my skills, but it's a lot of fun to, a lot of fun to fly. Oh, I, I want to say something real quick before we end, but I was at the Drone Racing League event uh, two nights ago in Vegas because oh, yeah? uh, I was at CES and we, we get some press passes so we get to be behind the scene and watching these drones fly around. If you haven't been to a DRL event, I want you to go to a DRL event because it is absolutely amazing. These guys flying these tiny little drones all over the place and it's just incredible. And the experience in general, I think, was really cool. So uh, that, I just want you to plug that in. Awesome. That would be awesome. So, Curran, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. And I'm just wondering um, if you either have a social media profile you would like to plug or an outlet that people um, can follow to get the latest updates on DJI releases and products. Yeah, so I um, have started, I have a Instagram account and a um, Twitter account that I use just to kind of separate from all my personal accounts just to follow all the drone stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I believe it's drone comms, um, but I'll, I'll share it uh, with you guys after here and we can maybe include in the okay. show notes or something. Um, but sure. really if, if anyone wants to learn about anything, DJI, uh, our forums, um, always posting new news there. And then we also have our viewpoints, um, uh, blog that we post new articles and different things about that really just show you about the users behind, um, the drones and really show you a lot of stories about what people are able to do with our products. Okay. Well, thank you again, Curran, for being on our first recording of 2022. Great way to kick off the new year. Um, you can follow along with Pixel Drone Show on YouTube at Pixel Drone Show. And we are also on Twitter and Facebook. And you can also listen on Spotify, Apple, and other related platforms. Thank you again.